Hi, my name is Mikey, and I'm the director of the kids' ministry here at Emmanuel Church. Perhaps you recognize me as the singing and dancing guy during our kids' videos in the morning. Well, in case you missed it, you can head on over to our website, and there you can find links to our family devotions, which include study guides and worksheets, which you can print out, as well as worship and Bible story videos for your family. So today we're going to continue our study on the Sermon of the Mount. And we're going to look specifically at Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 to 20. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to follow along as I read. Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So, if there's one main point that I hope you could take away from today, it would be this. That the Old Testament finds its fulfillment in the person and work of Christ. And we too find our righteousness and entrance into the kingdom of heaven in the same way. So right off the bat, there's a really big question. Let's go ahead and ask it. What does it mean that Jesus fulfilled the law, but did not abolish it? Now, Jesus' declaration is actually two statements in one. The first thing, there's something that Jesus did, and there's something that Jesus did not do. So let's look at what Jesus did not do in his ministry. As Jesus stated, he didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets. Now this saying, the law and the prophets, is a way of saying the whole of the Old Testament. Jesus did not come to invalidate or nullify the Old Testament in any way. The language of abolish is one of dismantling or tearing down a building, if you will, brick by brick. It's an image of destroying a building or an institution. The 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution took effect in December of 1865. This was the abolition of slavery in the United States. The institution of slavery was constitutionally dismantled. It was dissolved. It was abolished. And for good reason, too reason to celebrate. The fulfillment of slavery, its intent, was exactly that. It was to enslave people. It was to take away their freedom. Now, to abolish it was the right and just thing to do. But what about the law of God? What is its fulfillment? What is its intent? Now, Paul describes the law as a guardian in the book of Galatians, specifically chapter 3, verses 23 to 25, which I'll read for you. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come 
would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So the Apostle Paul talks about the law of God as being a guardian. This guardian highlights and restrains our sin. We are locked up not because the law was meant to enslave us, but because the law imprisoned everything and everyone under sin. The law of God is holy. The law of God is righteous, and it is good. But because of our sinfulness, the law was not able to give us life. It was not able to give us freedom from sin. Through the law, we learn about the holiness of God. We also learn about our own sinfulness. In this way, the law should not be abolished, as Christ had no intent in doing so. So, what does this mean for us as Christians? In fact, what are we supposed to do with the Old Testament if it's not abolished? Now, I teach kids, I teach them Sunday school, and teaching the Old Testament can be fun. Believe me, it can be fun. This spring, we will have studied the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation over a period of three years. We've been going through the Gospel Project for Kids, and we are looking at the whole counsel of God, all the way from Genesis to Revelation. And in those three years, we would have spent two of them in the Old Testament alone. And for good reason, too. I mean, take a look at your own Bible. How much of it is the Old Testament, and how much is it of the New Testament? It's a large chunk of the Bible. And we can't just dismiss it. We can't ignore it. Now, some people are confused as to what the role of the Old Testament is to play in the life of a Christian. So, are we still bound by the law? Are we to keep all of the Jewish ceremonial laws? Let's break this down a little bit so we can understand it. The first point I want to make is, in fact, the Old Testament is Christian. What do I mean by that? It's easy to only think of the Old Testament as strictly Jewish. It doesn't apply to Christians. After all, it was written before Christ, right? But this is only in a chronological sense, in a sense of time. Hence the names Old and New Testaments, or covenants as it's sometimes called. In this, we can call the Old Testament pre-Christian, as in it was before the time of Christ. That is, we are saying the Old Testament existed before Christianity, but this description says nothing about the nature or the character of the Old Testament. Now, let's go back to the image of the law of God as a building. We're talking about abolish. Think of it as a house. We can call the foundations of a house pre-house, but we know that these foundations are an important part of the house. In the same way, we could call the Old Testament pre-Christian, but we know the essence of it is not pre-Christian, but in fact Christian. Just like the foundations of a house are part of the whole house and important to it, so the Old Testament is Christian and important to the whole part of the Bible. Christian describes the character of the Old Testament in its nature. So what does the New Testament itself even say about the Old Testament? 
Now remember that the Old Testament was the Bible of Jesus Christ himself. When he talks about the law of God and he talks about the scriptures and the writings and the prophets, he was in fact referring to the Old Testament. It was also the Bible of the Apostle Paul and the other apostles. As we look at 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, it reminds us, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Old Testament was the Bible of the authors of the New Testament. In fact, Jesus gives us a warning in this passage in the Sermon on the Mount not to set aside one of the least of these commands and teach others accordingly. Jesus affirmed the full authority of the Old Testament as Scripture. And as we move from the Old Testament to the New Testament, we notice a progression in redemptive history as well as revelation. Now, what do I mean by progressive revelation? The term progressive revelation means that God revealed various aspects of his will and his overall plan for humanity over different periods of time. This progression over time does not make the Old Testament non-Christian. This progression over time doesn't make it pre-Christian. To give you another picture, imagine this. I love living in Yarrow because it's so close to the Vetter River. I get to go down there for walks with my kids along the dike. I get to go fishing. I get to take in its sights and its sounds. It's a really soothing place for me. And occasionally, I even catch a salmon. Consider the headwaters of a river, where it begins, in the very beginning of the river as it flows down. We don't call the head, headwaters of a river non-river or pre-river. They're an essential part of the river as it flows downstream. And as the river moves forward, even while we're remaining where it has always been, so the progression of redemptive history and revelation takes place without disqualifying the past. Just because it's moved forward doesn't mean what's happened in the past doesn't matter. This progression takes place within a larger framework of continuity. In other words, the progression is part of a bigger picture of what's going on. That's why Jesus said, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. He is not cutting off the Old Testament from the continuous river of God's redemptive history and revelation. He is in fact fulfilling it. He is fulfilling it, that is to reveal its full meaning and to bring it to its consummation. So, let's look at what Jesus did do in his ministry. Understanding Jesus' fulfillment of the law and the prophets is key to understanding the Sermon of the Mount. And by extension, Matthew's whole purpose in writing his gospel. Jesus fulfills all of the Old Testament, and then all of it points to him. Every story whispers his name, as you might have heard. Everything finds its fulfillment in Christ. You guys might remember on the road to Emmaus, Jesus was talking to two disciples after he had risen from the dead. And in Luke 24, verse 27... It says, and beginning with Moses 
and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Jesus fulfilled the prophets. The predictions of the prophets concerning the Messiah would come true in Jesus. Now, Matthew spends the first couple of chapters in his gospel explaining the fulfillment of these prophecies through his coming, through his incarnation, through his birth. In his first coming alone, Jesus fulfilled hundreds of prophecies concerning himself. And I'd love to go over all of them with you, but I don't think we have time to do that right now. Perhaps another time. Now, Jesus fulfilled the law in at least two different ways. The holy standard of the law would be perfectly upheld in Christ. The strict requirements were personally obeyed by Jesus. And all the ceremonial observances were finally and fully satisfied in Jesus. In living a perfect life, Jesus fulfilled the moral laws. He was without sin. He was perfect in his moral life. And in his sacrificial death, Jesus fulfilled the ceremonial laws. When he died on the cross, Jesus fulfilled the requirements of the law concerning sacrifice and the forgiveness of sin. Christ came not to destroy the old religious system, but to build upon it like building a house upon a firm foundation, like a continuous river that flows, Jesus built upon the old system. In other words, Jesus' purpose was to establish the word of God, to embody the word of God, and to fully accomplish all that was written. The Gospel of John talks about Jesus as the Word. Jesus embodies it and fully accomplishes the intent and purpose of the Word of God. In Romans chapter 10, verse 4, it says, Christ is the culmination of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. This is the good news. This is the exciting news that we get to share. The exciting news that I teach our kids is about the righteousness that comes from everyone who believes in Jesus. Jesus, in his fulfillment of the law and the prophets, Jesus obtained our eternal salvation. No more were priests required to offer sacrifices and enter the holy place according to the ceremonial laws. Let's take a look at the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 8 to 14. I'll read it for us. First, he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, here I am, I have come to do your will. He set aside the first to establish the second, and by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. 
But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. This is what Jesus has done for us once and for all. By grace, through faith, we have been made right with God. Jesus fulfilled the whole law and now grants us us his righteousness as a free gift. This is the good news. Now that a person is justified by the works of the law, as it says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, but by faith in Jesus Christ, so that we too have put our faith in Christ, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Our righteousness that needs to surpass that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law that Jesus said, this righteousness that is required to enter the kingdom of heaven, our salvation, our being made right with God, is by grace through faith in the person and work of Christ. We are not saved by our own works because the works of the law and by the works of the law, no one will be justified, as it says in Galatians. We are saved by the works of Jesus Christ because he fulfills the law and sets us free from sin and death. We cannot find righteousness by keeping God's law. As it says, the guardian keeps us captive. But because of the saving work of Jesus Christ, the law is fulfilled in our place, and we are set free from sin and death. He does not abolish the law of God, but accomplishes its purpose, and he does this for God's glory and for our good. Our righteousness comes by faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now, if we look at the rest of Matthew chapter 5, as we continue on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives his interpretation of the law, its intent and its meaning. Now, at the time, there were several schools of thought concerning the interpretation of the law. Jesus doesn't affirm one of them and say, you guys are right about that or you guys are wrong about that. But instead, Jesus authoritatively gives his own interpretation. He talks about things like murder and adultery. And he begins with the saying, so you've heard it said, but he follows up with, but I tell you this. And if you thought keeping the Jewish ceremonial laws were tough, Wait until you hear the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. (laughs) Believe me, it is much more difficult to keep those words. But our righteousness does not come from keeping the law any more than it comes from keeping every word on the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is talking about an inner righteousness that comes by faith in Christ. He is not talking about 
an external righteousness that comes about by any obedience to any particular law. Our righteousness comes about by repentance and confession of our sin. Our righteousness comes about by grace through faith in the person and work of Christ. The Old Testament finds its fulfillment in the person and work of Christ. And we too find our righteousness and our entrance into the kingdom of heaven in the same way. So let us pray together. Please join me. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word, both the Old and the New Testament. We thank you for the revelation about who you are and what you've done for us through your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that all scripture is breathed out by you and useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness so that each one of us can be equipped to do every good work that you have prepared for us to do. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this good news of the righteousness we have, this right standing before you because of the work of your son, Jesus Christ, because of who he is and what he's done for us. We thank you for his great sacrifice that satisfied your law. We thank you for your law, which shows us your great holiness and your goodness. It reveals to us our sin and our need for you. But we thank you that you have provided a savior for us through your son, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I pray that you would continue to transform us from the inside out as we continue to read your word and to read your scriptures. Lord, I pray that as we continue to study the Sermon on the Mount, that we would be challenged, Father, to allow you to change us and transform us so that we can carry out life in the kingdom of heaven. Lord, we thank you that you receive us as sons and daughters of the king, that we are no longer under the guardian of the law, but we are under the kingship of your son, Jesus Christ, and that we are in your family. So we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.